Since my granddaughter was born last July, I have been blessed to be able to be around her a lot. And while I think she's the best baby in the world, being around her and other babies has reminded me that babies are the most self-absorbed creatures on the planet. Think about it. Babies are the only people on the planet who can scream at you, spit up on you, poop or pee on you, or wake you up in the middle of the night and you will not fight them. Because for a time, it needs to be about the baby. But only for a time. Because each child has to be told at some point in their life, it's not about you. Turn to the people you're watching with today and say to them, it's not about you, you big baby. And then, just to be sure we're an equal opportunity offender, say to yourself, it's not about me. Some of you might remember the late Don Shula who coached in the NFL for many years. In fact, he just passed away a few weeks ago at the age of 90. Well, he was used to being recognized when out in public. So one time, he and his wife were taking a vacation in a secluded mountain village, and they decided to go to the afternoon matinee at the movies. They went inside the theater where there were about 15 people seated, and when they walked in, everybody stood up and began to applaud. So feeling pretty good about himself, Shula said, I didn't think you all would recognize me up here. And they said, we don't. The manager of the movie said we couldn't start the movie until we had two more people. <laughs> so sometimes we think it's all about me, but it's not. We're in a series called Upside Down Kingdom. It's this kingdom where more is less and less is more, where it's about others first, not me first. It's about descending into greatness, not ascending into greatness. It's a kingdom where generosity flows from a more than generous king. And today we're going to see that it's not about us, but it's all about God. And this idea is not original with us. It was penned by the psalmist 3,000 years ago. Listen to how he says it in Psalm 115.1. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. See, we've been praying, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May what is up there come down here. May the reality of heaven become the reality of earth. And in the reality of heaven, here's what I know. It's all about God. Now, all throughout the Old Testament, we read about God's glory. Glory can be defined as weight or significance. Sometimes it's translated honor or praise. It is to make much of something or someone. It is to say in words and actions, this is what it's all about. This is what everyone and everything should point to. So let's consider some things today. First, creation is about God's glory. We believe that the world we live in is not some kind of cosmic accident, but that we are the direct result of divine intervention. That God made this world according to his word. He made it for his glory. Psalm 19.1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. In Isaiah 6, there is worship going on around the throne of God. And here's what we read, starting in verse 3. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then in Psalm chapter 8, verse 1, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. 
Have you ever noticed that there is just something different about being around things that aren't man-made? Whether it's watching the fireflies light up a summer evening, watching a shooting star just blaze across a starry night sky, or seeing the purples and the reds and the pinks of a beautiful sunset, or looking at all those little microorganisms through a drop of pond water as you look through a microscope. There's just something that elicits awe and wonder and praise. And I think that is God reminding us over and over through what he has made that it is not about us, but it's all about him. And when we see the beauty of our creation, we see the beauty of our creator, and it should cause praise. Now, Alicia and I were just out in Arizona this past January, and while we were out there, we decided to drive a few hours north to take in the Grand Canyon. We were there in the late afternoon hours, right as sunset was approaching. And the reflection of the sun off the canyon just lit up those rocks, and we just took in the sight. There's no words in that moment, just beauty, glory, and inner peace that is thankful there is someone much bigger in charge. And when you take in how big and beautiful and wondrous creation is, you see how big and majestic God is and how small you are. And it's God's way of reminding you and me that it's not about us. And the words of the psalmist become very real to us in Psalm 8, starting in verse 3. The psalmist says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You see, God reminds us through what he has made that it's all about him and his glory. Now, if everything is about God's glory and you and I are part of everything, then what does that say about us? Well, it means that our life is about God's glory. I think you would agree with me when I say that so many of our problems are a result of misunderstanding our purpose about why we're here. We forget where we came from and what we were made for. But God in his wisdom shares with us what he intended when he created humanity. Here's what we read in Genesis 1:27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It's worth noting in Genesis that God is creating things, and as he does so, he does so according to their kind. He makes plants according to their kind, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea according to their kind. But then it gets to humans, and it's as if God says, these are going to be my kind of creation. And he imprints on us his divine image. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we are physically going to look like God. It means that in the blueprint of your soul, there is God's essence. Something that gives you and I value and worth above all creation. And this applies to each and every single person. Now listen to what God says in Isaiah 43, verse 6. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name whom I created for, catch this, my glory, whom I formed and made. Here's the idea. You and I were made to reflect our maker. You were made to point back to the one who made you and to represent him on this earth for his glory. Here's how Jesus said it in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and... Tell you how awesome you are. 
No, that's not what he says. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Use your life to point to God. But what happens too often is, I want to use my life to point to me. Think of it this way. In the ancient world, kings would often have statues of themselves erected and placed in various areas throughout their kingdom, especially in the border towns, as a way of showing everybody, this is where my kingdom begins. In here, everything is under my rule and reign. And the image of the king was to communicate that he is large and in charge in his kingdom. In much the same way, God has made us in his image to represent his rule and reign on the earth. But imagine if one of those kings, having sent out those statues made in his image, got in a caravan and decided to visit one of those border towns. And when the caravan and the king arrived, no one was there to welcome him. There was no welcoming committee. No one was at the city gates announcing the king's arrival. And finally, the king finds all the people in the town square, and they're gathered around the statue. And the king says very loudly, your king is here. But the people ignore him and just keep focusing on the statue. Now here's the point. When you and I live like it's all about us, we are making much of the statue and ignoring the king. We violate our original created purpose. This is exactly what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. That's what we were talking about earlier, that creation reflects the glory of God. It announces God's majesty and might. Now verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Uh-oh. This means that people weren't living for their created purpose. And life is empty and unsatisfying when you don't do what you were created to do. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images made to look like a mortal human being, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. In other words, they were focusing on the statue instead of the king. It's interesting how Paul's world 2,000 years ago sounds just like our world today. Think about it. When is the last time God got glory or credit for anything in our world? We're too busy patting ourselves on the back. We are what I would call glory thieves. In other words, we want to make much of ourselves and make everything about us because we have a glory problem. Now, right now, some of you are pushing back and you're saying, Solomon, I don't have a glory problem. I don't like to be in the spotlight. I'm the furthest thing from a narcissist. Okay. Well, then you wouldn't mind if I ask you a few probing diagnostic questions, then would you? Here's question number one. Has someone at your workplace ever gotten a promotion and you were resentful because you thought you deserved it? You might have a glory problem. Has someone else around you ever received recognition, praise, or validation in a very public way and you just chafed inside because you've been waiting for that kind of validation and affirmation? You might have a glory problem. 
Has a loved one ever come to you and said, okay, I thought about it, and you were right, and I was wrong, I admit it. And you just gloated inside as you thought about it. You might have a glory problem. Or have you ever watched the movie Rudy, and you wished you were the one being carried off the field by your teammates at the end? Well, you might have a glory problem. Just like last week's sermon, when the workers who got hired late in the day were paid the same as those who were hired early in the day. And the early day workers got upset and bothered that generosity was shown to those who came in late. It's all because they thought they should receive more glory, more worth, more recognition than those who came in late. They thought more highly of themselves and could not celebrate the generosity of the landowner. And you know, come to think of it, I've never heard of a husband and wife divorcing because each of them was too selfless. But I've seen couples divorce. I've seen marriages strained because one or both spouses were being too self-centered. This is something that begins inside and manifests itself on the outside and how we relate to others. We see this selfishness throughout our society in systems of oppression. Just consider the headlines we see about people who use their positions of power to use or abuse people. That comes from a, it's about me mentality. Because if it's about me, then what happens is that people in power make themselves most important and treat others as less than human. It's why we had slavery. That's why we today have genocide and human trafficking. Because a group of people say, if you're not like us, believe like us, look like us, have what we have, then you don't count. And soon those people are no longer treated like image bearers of God, but are used and abused and abandoned. Our world is full of people with this infantile impulse to make it about me again and again. So because this world is sick with sin and glory-seeking individuals, our loving creator decided to join creation and redeem glory and redeem the image of God in every person. So here's what I want you to get. Remember I said in week one of this series that Jesus lived the ideal human existence. If you ever want to know how life is to be lived, look at Jesus. He's the perfect model. And the primary way Jesus did this was that he displayed God's glory. We believe that not only did God create the world, but he joined creation in the person of Jesus Christ. Here's what we read in Colossians 1.15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Now this same Jesus, when he came to earth, everything he did was about God's glory. Jesus lived focused and aligned with God's purposes for him. And guess what? Jesus was the one person who ever lived who could say, it's all about me, and it would be 100% true. And yet, what was his ministry marked by? Serving others, healing the sick, and preaching good news to the poor, and associating with the outcasts, and mending the broken and laying down his life in self-denial and self-sacrifice. The one who could legitimately say, it's all about me, modeled a life of, it's not about me. Why did Jesus serve this way? Because it's what the Father wanted. 
John 5, 19, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Why did Jesus say what he said when he was here? Because it's what the Father wanted him to say. John 12, 49, Jesus says, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. So Jesus lives his life in word and deed completely and beautifully yielded to the will of the Father so that the Father might receive glory. And the most glorious part of Jesus' life would come in the most awful way. We needed a Savior, and Jesus was more than willing to be that Savior, and he subjected himself to glory-seeking individuals. Think about it. He was betrayed by a friend who wanted to make money off him. And it was greed that told Judas deep down, it's all about me. Jesus was put through a mock trial by a group of religious leaders who were jealous of all the crowds that Jesus was drawing and the attention that he was getting. They wanted to be on the pedestal. So what'd they do? They whipped up a mob and brought false witnesses against Jesus so they could get him killed because deep down they said, it should be about us. Jesus was finally condemned to die by a Roman governor named Pilate, who was playing politics to keep his seat of power. And Pilate openly admitted that he saw no guilt in Jesus that would warrant his death. But Pilate was more concerned about his own glory, his own position, than he was administering justice. So he let Jesus die like a criminal. See, Jesus allowed all that to happen, to be beaten, mocked, spat upon, and crucified on a cross, and before any of that, here's what Jesus prayed in John 17, 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. See, for Jesus, it was all about God's glory because he knew in the most upside down way that God would take an offensive, ugly, scandalous death on a cross and do something glorious. Through Jesus' death, God would bring life. Through Jesus' shame, God would bring praise. Through Jesus' defeat, God would bring undeniable victory. And the cross of Christ would become the beacon of the glorious love of God. And even though Jesus died, it didn't end him. Three days later, he rose again to prove he is sovereign over death. Imagine if you would, if you see two boxers fighting and one of them gives the other one what should be a knockout punch and the other one is just completely unfazed. You know, right then and there, how that fight is going to end. There might be rounds to go, but the fight is over. And when the bell rings, you know which one of those boxers is going to be standing. And Jesus took the worst of sin. He took the worst of selfishness, the worst of violence, the worst of oppression. And he said, I'm still standing Evil will not have the last word. Jesus will, because it's all about him. So we believe that not only did Jesus create everything for God's glory, not only did he come to earth and live and die for God's glory, we believe that Jesus is going to return for God's glory. And here's what the Bible promises Jesus will do. Revelation 21.4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. All the products of selfishness and oppression will be done away with forever. 
Then in verse 5, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. This is what Jesus is going to do. And the only proof we need is his resurrection, what he has already done. So our task, our mission as followers of this same Jesus is to point the world to the one who made the world, to point the world who died for the world, to point to the world to the one coming back for the world. That's our purpose as members of this upside-down kingdom. We are made in such a way that we will find our greatest significance and satisfaction when our life is used to enhance the reputation of God. Paul says it best in 1 Corinthians 10.31, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It doesn't matter where I am or what I'm doing, like Jesus, I need to constantly be asking myself, how can God get some applause out of this? So now, we're going to eat and drink the elements of the Lord's Supper, and we do so in remembrance of the Son and to the glory of the Father.